When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Mike Ross. What a fine introduction that was and always is. Welcome to Episode 28, Season 2 of Leaf Sky. Jim Taddy with you for the next half hour or so. Our guest today is Gus Kutzeros from the Keens Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Oh, we've got something to talk about. But before we get there, consider this. Hockey fans feel the action on the ice like never before with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Right now, new customers can bet just $1 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. If Sportsbook isn't available in your area, no worries. You can still hit the ice for cold, hard cash. New customers can make their first deposit and play free for thousands with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. Draft your lineup of eight skaters and a goalie. Rack up points for goals, assists, and saves and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Now, here is the key fact, the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team to win. Get $150 in free bets if they do. The code is THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NHL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, on to the hockey story. Oh, my goodness. The Leafs are red hot. Are you ready for this? They are now 11-1-1 in their last 13 hockey games. And this goes back to a Saturday night. Let me figure it out here. March 26th in Montreal, where they lost 4-2. The very next night, they come home to play against Florida and win. And then they go on to Boston to win. And this team is red hot. I think I said that. Are they red hot? Yes, guy. They are. They're firing on all cylinders. They won their last two without Austin Matthews. Jack Campbell looks good. Plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Looks like they are a lock for second in their division and home ice in the first round against likely Tampa Bay. And that's before the Thursday game where they play in Tampa, which was supposed to be the game of the year. And now it's just a sort of a nice sidebar, if you will. Here is the conversation I had with Gus Kutzeros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Okay, Gus, let's talk about a nice run by the Leafs lately. They are, by my count, 11-1-1 in their last 13 hockey games. What are you seeing? So what I'm seeing is a team that's trying to prepare for, uh, uh, well, it's going to be a difficult first-round opponent, whether it's the Tampa Bay Lightning or Boston Bruins. I find that they are experimenting with lines. Um, I find that they are much more competitive when they're playing a team that's more skilled. I'm not sure whether that's by design. Um, or whether they just fall flat when they come up against a team that may not necessarily be in the playoffs or experimenting on their end. 
Um, the fortunate sign is I think that their goaltending has been better than what we've seen since, you know, the disaster that's been December. That's not to say that I've got full confidence in goaltending. I still have a lot of apprehension towards that. Um, but it looks like they're trying to bring in guys and, and make sure Jordano is, is comfortable in his role. They're trying to bring guys in and out of the defense. They're moving players around. They've got William Nylander sometimes sliding back into the second line, mostly playing on the third line. So I think that Keith at this point in time is looking to see how pliable his entire roster is, where he can make changes, especially on the fly in, uh, in the playoffs. It's not like they have days to go and regroup. There's going to be a lot of video, a lot of uh, um, camaraderie and, and, and strategizing within the coaching staff. But if you don't really know what you kind of have at your at, at hand, it's hard to, to formulate a plan to strategize uh, moving forward. Um, I think in the end, what we're seeing is a nice little run. Um, we're expecting to see good efforts. When Toronto stinks it up, they really stink it up. Um, and I think that they're just trying to normalize their um, their roster from the forwards specifically, defense specifically, and trying to iron out any issues that they're going to face down, uh, from their goaltenders. I mean, you know, just from what you've said there, Gus, I mean, it, it seems like they're much more prepared than they would have been even a year ago where they seem to want to, I don't know if want is the right word, but they seem to be able to, to ride certain situations. Um, this scenario that we're talking about seems to have some depth to it in terms of preparation. Would you agree? So on that specific, absolutely. One thing they didn't feel that they did last year was they essentially took the same strategies, the same things that they were doing during the regular season, which of course were yielding really good results, and they moved into the playoffs with that. And when they played an opponent like Montreal, which they were just supposed to just steamroll, and they did for the first, I guess, three and a half games, um, they started to alter things once some adversity hit. And Montreal played to that adversity and forced Toronto to alter their strategy. What Toronto really needed to do was just maintain the same things that were bringing them success during the regular season so that they can maintain that success during the playoffs. This year, I think that they're not necessarily looking at taking their foot off the gas. They're still working to kind of smooth over a lot of the rough edges that they've seen over the course of the season um, and trying to implement more players in different roles. I don't think that we've seen a fully healthy unit for, oh, man, it has to be at least 20 games, maybe even more. So exactly what Toronto's going into the playoffs with is a bit of a, 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 a ragtag group of players that might be kind of moved up and down depending on the situation. And I think that that's, that's fine. It's better to go into the playoffs with a little bit of experimentation under your belt, knowing the extremes that your players can kind of face themselves through, rather than trying to do the same thing over and over and over and not getting the results that you're expecting. Okay, let's talk about Nylander because you mentioned him earlier. He's the most intriguing to me just because, you know, it was that game in Montreal on March 26th where he got dropped in the lineup, and he's he's pretty well stayed down most of the way. But when I talk about that 11-1-1 record, that's with him being off the second line for the most part. I mean, he does revisit it from time to time, and the coach does move him around in, in, in game situations. But, you know, generally speaking, he's been moved down and he's been effective. What's your read on his play? Well, you know, I think that for the most part, Tavares and Nylander this year had a great beginning, and then once December, maybe towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the calendar year, um, they stopped clicking. It wasn't like they were really producing at a second line level. Something had to be done. But give Keith credit that he kept the pairing together to try to ignite them. Um, he tried to put different players into that slot on the left wing, and it just nothing seemed to really work. 
So while Nylander came out and smashed right at the beginning of the season and really started to look like he was going to establish himself as a, a fundamental player on this roster, he fizzled. So that fizzling kind of um, prompted coaching staff to move into the third unit. Now, I don't have a problem with that at all. As long as they're able to balance their lines and provide some type of an offensive catalyst on each unit, then I don't have an issue with uh, with Nylander uh, playing on the third line. At the same time, too, with between him and Kerfoot, um, and between him and, and even McKayev and, and him and even Engel, there's enough talent there and some um, momentum between those three individual players that I think can really lead into a phenomenal third line. There's no checking lines left in the NHL. You have to be able to score with three lines, sometimes even with four. We see scoring up throughout the NHL. So I haven't seen a difference in Nylander's game other than certain moments. And when those certain moments hit and the optics are just really, really bad, the fans start to get on them. Everybody expects him to be demoted. They expect something to be done. But there's a fine line between whether or not you give him the reins and you say, go and do the best that you can. And notice that every once in a while, you're going to get a clunker. In the meantime, based on that short-term record that you were just talking about, um, I actually think that he's still one of those middle players that has to score. Um, He's setting uh, uh, career records and goals. Um, So I think that Nylander is going to be a fundamental star, and he's going to have to step up and be the type of player that he was at the beginning of the season in order for the Leafs to progress through the playoffs. You know, you mentioned three names. I'm going to go over these names again because I think they're. it's great that we're talking this way because in the past we would have been talking about the four, you know, the big four up front and what they were going to do. But you're talking about Kerfoot, who has shown a versatility in that lineup that's enviable across the league. You're talking about Engvall and Mikheyev, which I, I call these guys breaking stories because they almost get better by the game. We're talking about five-on-five five and while well, they're on the penalty kill. These three guys alone are a layer that the least didn't have before. Would you agree? You know, I would add another name to that list, Colin Blackwell. Yes. I take that from the perspective of since he's been in the lineup, he's been a fundamental asset to Toronto where he moves up and down the lineup as well. So it's good to be able to have the versatility for Kerfoot. We saw a lot of that last uh, last year when Tavares went down. He was expected to play better, and he did. And he's kind of maintained that momentum. He's had a phenomenal season. Even if the statistics don't necessarily show how good he's been, I think that Kerfoot's been fantastic. You can't rave enough about the job that Mikhail has done this year. You can't rave enough about Engel. So we look at them both at five-on-five being very good, versatile um, players. But on the penalty kill, they are now deadly. Toronto in itself generates one of every four scoring chances while killing a penalty. Mikhail is a big component of that. Colin Blackwell and Pierre Engel all end up in the top 10 when we're evaluating goals for 60 while killing a penalty. Mitch Marner isn't too far behind. So we talked about the big four, and the big four was always the focus, as you said, kind of going into the playoffs last year. But now there's depth, and there's depth that can kind of step into whenever there is a void, similar to what happened last year. If Matthews and Marner weren't able to score, there was nobody that was doing any supplemental scoring on the Leafs. Now they have players that can do it at any on-ice game situation. So if the Leafs take a penalty, it's not like it's going to be that much of a detriment that they're generating scoring opportunities and limiting the scoring chances against. Um, you put all of those three depth players um, together, 
And it's a different dynamic going into the playoffs this year than it ever really was. So the Blackwell addition as well is another player. So if any of those guys end up do end up going down, for instance, uh, for any injury or whatever the case is, it's nice that they have a player that can just jump right back into the role um, and without kind of skipping a beat. Toronto has to maintain some type of continuity. It's good to have their depth rotatable so that they are able to maintain that continuity. You know, you were talking about full health earlier. I don't know that they're going to get there. Kasha, to me, is uh, that's a pretty serious concussion he had. Uh, and the Muzzin problem was originally a concussion problem. Now I, I think they haven't really clarified. It looks like a lower body problem, and, and it may explain, because it was a reoccurrence, why there was problems with the Muzzin-Hall tandem in the past, probably playing through an injury. So I'm just not convinced that Kasha and Muzzin are going to be around that much for the Leafs. And if I'm right, are you okay with what's left? So it's kind of interesting because I would have figured last year if Muzzin went down, that was it. That defensive line just wouldn't hold very much. The addition of Giordano gives them some kind of insurance there. Um, a healthy Muzzin, a healthy Giordano, it gives them three solid pairings, and I'm fine with the defense as it is. If Muzzin isn't healthy, they can always supplement somebody at the bottom in there and move Giordano to a different spot. So it's nice to be able to have that kind of flexibility. They did not have that kind of flexibility last year. Muzzin went down, and the whole world changed. When Tavares went down, the whole world changed. So it's good to have those players that you can kind of rotate in and out. Um, and we have a whole bunch of really good um, um, feel-good stories. I maintain the same um, um, issues with Kasha that you do. Um, I think that that's actually a big blow. He was a fundamentally good player um, whenever yeah. he was addressed. With him being out of the lineup, you have to do a little bit of a rotation. Fortunately, they do have some of the horses that they can kind of put into that spot. But if he is healthy, and if Muzzin is healthy, it makes the least of that just that much more dangerous. Um, and it gives them the flexibility that they didn't have in the last last year. So you add health. Um, you know, we can even add Jack Campbell and, uh, and Razik. I mean, their goaltending isn't exactly entirely healthy either. We don't know, right? If that falters, ooh, then we're going to have a very different conversation sometime throughout the playoffs. But it's nice to see that they're kind of giving Muzzin and Kasha the opportunity to rest, to recuperate, to try to be ready for the playoffs, and hopefully they're at a position where they're able to jump in and contribute. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point that the goaltending doesn't hold up, that all bets are off. There's, there's no question about that. But so we're sort of tracking forward with things are better for the Leafs this year. So let's play the flip side. If, if everybody buys into the theory that the Leafs are better prepared than they've ever been, then let's look at the erosion because we have to on the other side of the fence. Tampa Bay has won two straight Stanley Cups and sort of limping in the final weeks of the regular season for whatever that's worth. And Boston is a year older and, and minus some players that they would have had last year. So I'm going to say not as good as they were in the past. But the, the ultimate question that comes out of this, if we're pumping the Leafs tires, can we take some air out of the Tampa and Boston tires? I absolutely think you can. Similar to how Florida has done so well, it's also one of the reasons is because Tampa Bay and Boston haven't been as dominating as they were um, over the last few seasons. Having said that, Boston really shored up that blue line, so I think that they're a very different team after the trade deadline. Um, their goaltending is still a question mark. It's not too Rask. It's not the same. Um, you know, Nick Foligno was supposed to be a very dynamic player for Boston. He scored like two goals this entire regular season. He's not the player that I think that they expected to get out of it. So it gives Boston the optics of having some really good players up front, but they're not scoring very much. Tampa Bay lost their entire third line in the offseason. 
So they had to replace that third line, and they tried doing that during the trade deadline where they brought in, et cetera. Um, and so they're, they're still kind of tinkering. So to your point, those two teams in particular are not as good as they were. They are still capable. They're still championship caliber. And it's and if the Leafs are going to do anything, and I've always maintained this, they have to play against the best. They're going to have to beat the best. Whether that's the best Tampa Bay, eh, that isn't necessarily the Stanley Cup winning Tampa Bay. It's still a decent enough team that if they win, they should give them enough confidence to say that we can beat anybody. Give Florida the benefit of the doubt with the regular season that they've had, but they still haven't won a playoff round. So there's a lot of uncertainty on the other side um, that kind of leans in Toronto's favor. Now, if all of those teams all of a sudden, you know, find some kind of weird energy and become the teams that they were in the past, that's all fine and good, and Toronto will have to deal with that. But for the most part, it's not the Leafs going up against the powerhouse Tampa Bay Lightning. It's just the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I feel that that's probably who they're going to end up playing in the first round. And I kind of like that as a matchup as well, because they play well. They play well to that type of style. Tampa Bay is a lot more frustrating as far as the checking is concerned. But they both play quick. They both have a lot of offensive talent. They both, uh, goaltending on Tampa Bay's side could be the one thing that, that swings the momentum in that, that group. But I don't think that Toronto is out of line playing with the best of the best in that conference. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying there. So, so let's just cut to the chase because I'm, I'm willing to, to, to be positive about the Leafs in the first round this year. I want to sort of do a matchup and it's, it's, it may never happen, but Tampa against the Florida Panthers. I mean, to me, the Florida Panthers remind me of the Leafs last year. Is there any, any kind of, uh, I guess, validity in what I'm saying there? If uh, Aaron Eckblad is a healthy and fully capable of playing, then Florida is a distinct threat. Without Ekblad on the blue line, they change a huge dynamic there. So if their blue line isn't cap- as capable as it was during the regular season, and if their goaltending falters, because Bobrovsky's been good in a good rebound year, but there's a lot of question marks still within there. And if teams can exploit their defensive woes and exploit perhaps some mediocre to less than stubborn goaltending, Florida could be out first round too. Um, if they play Tampa Bay, I, I would give the edge to Florida just for the fact that um, they're a little bit more dynamic up front um, and they're not as banged up, I would say. But Aaron Eckblad is really that wild card. If he's not playing, Florida is a very different team than what they are now. So really what you're saying is when we pump the, the Leafs' tires, it's legitimate, isn't it? It's It's been legitimate, I would figure, for the better part of the year, even with um, – I guess you can kind of say, too, the goaltending has been bad, but they've been able to kind of play through it. And I like the way that the NHL is kind of moving into a more offensive element and, and kind of like defense isn't the same way you and I kind of grew up watching defense, Jim. It's not about blocking shots and, and limiting scoring chances. It's getting pucks back. So Toronto, Florida, even Boston to a degree, and Tampa Bay especially, they all use that new modern era, uh, level of defense. So Toronto's ascension is attributed to a lot of the modern ideas that hockey teams are using. So the fact that these other teams are starting to slip, I think that that's just an element of talent. Um, but everything is valid. Toronto has been one of the better teams in the NHL, same for a few really ugly moments. Um, they've kind of worked through that. Tampa Bay has gone through their ugly phases. They're now starting to play a little bit better. Uh, Boston went through a really ugly phase, and now they're betting, they're getting better too. So I don't think that it's not a lie to say that Toronto has um, ascended to the level of those particular teams to play, especially if some of the air 
that they had has been taken out of their tires, and now it's kind of leveled the playing field all around. Wow. On that note, Gus, we'll say thank you very much and, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Pleasure is always mine, Jim. Thank you for having me on. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right. Thank you, Mike Ross. Look at his split. Yes, guy, no guy. Jack Campbell looks good. Oh, yes, guy. In that Tuesday win against Philadelphia, square to the shooter, really good looking. And so you're confident that the time off and the injury and all that got him back to where he was before Christmas. Yes, guy, no guy number two. But the Leafs have more going for them than ever before. Well, under the current configuration, are you asking me if they got more going for them than they had over the last three or four years? An emphatic yes, guy. There's a lot of layers to this team. There's a lot of secondary scoring. There's a good defense. There's good goaltending, good special teams. It just seems like they can't be denied. So that's an emphatic yes, guy. Yes, guy, no guy. The least finding different ways to win impresses you. Oh, yes, guy. Without Austin Matthews, other people dug in. Nylander has risen to the occasion. You really appreciate Mitch Barner. I mean, go right through the lineup. Secondary scoring. This is an impressive lineup. The flexibility is there. I mean, it just seems like they can't be denied. So that's an emphatic yes, guy. Second place at home, I should do it in the first round. I got to believe so, guy. So a new category. Got to believe so, guy. That's an emphatic yes, guy. You are concerned about the possibility they won't be totally healthy. No, guy. Not in the early stages of the playoffs. I, th- I think they're okay. So I'm going to go out on that. Hope you enjoyed episode 28, season two of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode 29.